So I'm here with Adam Burstow, who's the Group Digital and IT Director from Grosvenor, and Ed Parham, who's a Director at Space Syntax. And we're talking about the ULI's Tech Council and Adam and Ed coming on board as its new joint chairman. And ULI has obviously been at the forefront of many big conversations over the last few years. And, and Adam, you and Ed are looking at a number of interesting debates to take forward over the next couple of years, aren't you? Do you want to maybe start by talking about two or three of the big issues that you see affecting the built environment at the present time? What we're interested in is developing a dialogue around technology at ULI. And in order to uh, address the opportunities, we're currently developing a framework to look at urban technology. We're looking at the trends that we see uh, and the things that are driving them, both the new digital technologies, the urban land factors, and then the business and organising models that are bringing them together. And Ed, tech's obviously been at the forefront of many conversations over the last couple of years. There's everyone banging on about prop tech every day of the week. Do, I mean, what's, where do you come at things from? Because obviously you know, your, your business day-to-day is, is built around modelling data and really getting under the skin of, of, of different sorts of technologies. Are, are there any key things that you think are, are going to be most influential? Yeah, so, so where we typically come in is during the design process of during the early design stages and I think the thing that we're particularly interested in is um, there's a lot of stuff that you hear around tech which is either about optimizing how you manage and run something later on um, or about managing and optimizing transactions where we're really interested in is how can you use tech to improve the actual design process of something Um, how can you start to understand how a city or a building works before you build it and before you have to to avoid essentially prototyping everything that you do. What can you learn from how places work? And that's not just about shoving sensors onto it, is it? Which is often sort of seen as the default position of, yeah, we're going to crunch data and shove sensors into the arse of every building. And and that seems to be the the kind of standard line, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. well, it's it's something that you see happening. Um, No, we're, we're really interested in what are the fundamental things about space. How can you measure the way that spaces fit together? You do need that data from sensors. It doesn't always have to be from sensors. You can collect it a really old-fashioned way, which, which might be people with clipboards. But um, you need some data to make sure your models are working before you can start to test things. Uh, and, and Adam, you guys are obviously growing at the forefront of many different parts of, of the built environment, have been for, for decades. How, uh, what's it been like... You know, working in a, in, a, in a large corporate, adapting to some of these you know, quite fluid changes that we've been seeing over recent years? Well, Grosvenor, as an organisation, um, over the um, decades has in fact had to be quite radical in order to ensure its long-term resilience. And as part of that, uh, I've therefore found everyone very happy to have a dialogue around digital. As we've looked at developing our strategy, we've focused on three areas. One is digitizing our current operations, taking the businesses we find it, for example, our development pipeline, and looking at how we can use new technologies, such as modern methods of construction, to reduce costs and improve the assurance of delivery. Secondly, we're looking at our overall um, business model. So what are the longer term potential impacts and opportunities of digital and how can we position ourselves for those? So, for example, we've invested 20 million US dollars in a 
PropTech Fund, we've conducted research into a range of areas. Finally, we're looking at our digital business platform, how we make decisions, the technology platforms that we have, and the sort of skills and culture that we need to develop to um, make the most out of digital. And you, you see it, I suppose, just sort of paraphrasing, you, you see it really as, as an equal of something like CSR, which has gone from being a nice-to-have to being a, a must-to-have. Yeah, I suppose every, if I think about it as a technologist, Grosvenor's been around for over 300 years and my predecessors of technologists have had to deal with, with all sorts of waves of technology from public sanitation and water through railways to, to cars and, and this is the latest wave. So uh, as we look at it organisationally, we're, we're trying to see what the potential um, benefits of this uh, and risks are, not just to us as an organisation and our commercial position, but also to the community within which we work and to society as a whole. There's a lot of potential social benefits of technology but equally there are risks and we need to get that balance right and that's obviously been one of the things ed that, that that's been discussed over the last couple of weeks last couple of months in fact around the 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 facebook cambridge analytica scandal this this trade-off between privacy and and the greater good and and clearly that throws up a whole bundle of risks for for anybody involved in in not just the built environment but any kind of consumer or business facing entity uh, what what should that trade-off look like and and and, and who should make that decision it's it's uh, well yeah that's a that's a it's a difficult trade-off it, i mean it's a decision that has to be made partly it has to involve wider society and, and the city and everybody um i mean there's there are potential ways to address it and i think one of the questions is if you're looking at launching a service in a city, do you actually need personal data to work out who is where, at what time of the day, and what are they doing? Um, so I by mean, service, you mean what? So something like an urban transit? So like a it could be like a mobility as a service. It could be like dockless bike hire. It could be something like that. Um, I mean, there are questions around if you want to know which bits of the city are going to be busiest, which are most walkable, where are people more likely to pick bikes up? you don't need to collect personal data to get answers to those questions. I mean, there's so many restrictions on what does and doesn't happen in cities, which come from layers of infrastructure, land use density. And we can use model data um, as a proxy for personal data. And can I follow on from that, Ed? You're picking up on examples of what um, I might call civic moments, the things that happen in cities, going to work, moving house, going out for dinner. And each of those have the potential to be made easier through technology. But you have to draw that balance with the the risks. Uh, as um, many people will realise, there's a new um, set of legislation, the General Data Protection Regulations, coming out in May. Um, and at a base level, organisations will need to comply with the provisions of that. But more broadly, organisations need to take care in their connections, including privacy and security. And we see every day in the media examples of where organisations haven't taken sufficient care. And what, I mean, what, what's the benefit? How, how, how can cities get better by embracing data. I mean, Britain, in fairness to it, I mean, we often, the, the UK government doesn't always get a particularly good rap in terms of its general slowness and bureaucracy, but it's been pretty good, hasn't it, Ed, at, at releasing data sets and, and making those available, not just in London, but across the UK. And, and with that, a number of, of, of businesses have sprung up and certainly, you know, we use a lot of that data ourselves and I'm sure many companies do. How can this stuff be crunched to benefit people? Okay. There's yeah. There's a few. There's a few answers to this. I mean, one of them is picking up that the theme I was just talking about, the, the restrictions in place from 
just the physical systems. They make certain parts of the city difficult or easy to get to. Certain places become completely reliant on having a car. Um, I mean, you can take stuff, you can run demographic data through models to look at what's the risk of, say, social isolation in elderly people. Do those people also live in parts of the city which are more dependent on having a car? Um, there's open data through the NHS which looks at stuff like um, GP, doctor-patient ratios, patient satisfaction levels. Do these people at higher risk live in car-dependent areas and have they got access to the best level of service that they could have? And we can start to profile that, work out where there's higher risk areas. And what's the upshot of that? Um, so what, I suppose? Yeah, so what? Well, it should mean that you can prioritise certain areas. If you've, if you've got um, less funding available, you either need to concentrate it on the places that need, um, are in need of it most or most in need of it. Um, or if you work out where there are... It can be really precise about what is the factor that's contributing to that level of isolation. Is it something about public transport? Is it something about the street network that you can't fix? But ironically, um, a lot of it's to do with, with younger people using social media. That seems to be accounting for a massive rise in isolation among 16 to 24-year-olds, which is somewhat ironic, isn't there's it? There's something which is interesting about the way that something that cities do very well is that they mix people together from lots of different backgrounds in, a, in a, what's clearly seen as a public space where everybody's happy to be in the same space as people they might not live with or might not know. Um, tech and social media in particular seems to sort people into very different classifications. And so that might exacerbate the kind of isolation and the differences between people. I, I do also think, though, that, that uh, Ed, there are things that might be positive about that. I think mm. the if we think of... Um, th this wave of the technologicalization of cities as as having a parallel with gentrification um, by by digital takes um, the physical place away from the tribe or it changes the relationship and I think that's got a lot of potential for cities in terms of encouraging more diverse local communities and more inclusion if the physical place becomes less important to the way in which society works and that, and that we can have those, those broader groups of people interacting. For me, uh, you know, Andy, coming back to your um, other question, it seems to me a fairly straightforward equation around smart cities. Uh, information management and data aggregation plus citizen services and applications equals improved quality of life. We need to manage the privacy aspects of it, but the potential for improving quality of life in cities that are, are growing and need to densify is extremely important. And, and what, what are the risks? I mean, what are, I mean, you talked a bit about, Ed, about cities bringing people together, which is much like how ULI works in terms of its multidisciplinary mishmash of, of different expertise that it has from every, every corner, really, of, of the built environment, which has always been much, much to the organisation's strengths. But what are some of the risks that, that you see these new trends throwing up and, and how will your work with, with ULI's Tech Council be looking to address some of them? Well, I think one of the... I mean, tech has a lot of potential. If you look at cities, cities are really complex and because they're complex, a lot of the... There's a whole range of disciplines that are associated with them and professions and very sophisticated processes. And what that means is that there's a whole series of uh, people who speak almost kind of different languages, use different tools and are involved at different stages of shaping a city. Um, tech has a huge potential to be able to, I mean, this isn't a new problem. This is something that Serda was complaining about when he was planning the extension of Barcelona in the 1800s, which was the siloization of disciplines and what happened in cities. Tech has the potential to be able to link between things and improve everything. Um, I mean, the other, the other risk is that tech could become its own silo and it could become influential in how things happen. 
um, it, it becomes a silo that's more difficult to get into because it's got a different barrier to entry. It's another thing where there's different programming languages, diff a whole set of different jargon. I mean, I think tech has the potential to, to really improve quality of life, as Adam was saying, but we have to manage it in the right way. And I think part of managing it in the right way is to engage with the people who are already involved in cities who understand what some of these issues are um, and try to, try to get them to evolve and shape each other in the right way. You've got, sorry, Andy, you've got, you've got these traditional risks, if you like, around privacy and security and, um, and reputational risks. But by far the biggest risk for me is that we don't have that dialogue. These are brilliant technologies. And it just feels to me that as a, as a generation involved in cities, we have this amazing opportunity to exercise empathy and creativity and stewardship to really change cities for good. And for me, the biggest risk is that we don't seize that opportunity. But it's also, but I, but I think you know, coming back on you, the, the tech does exacerbate existing risks. You know that that once upon a time, if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to hold a company to ransom, there were certain ways you can do that. But now, you know, you can hack into the air conditioning system on a development site and, and potentially you know, do all sorts of nasty things. Uh, that that's something you couldn't have done ten years ago. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. There's the the benefits that digital brings br br seem to bring alongside them a series of, of new and, and challenging risks are companies aware of those i mean it sounds like that, that you guys at grosvenor are obviously in a very good place but but i mean many companies particularly those in the built room don't have don't have chief technology officers i mean is that is that a risk in itself the fact that these guys that the companies don't need to name any but but should people be taking it more seriously i suppose is my question well uh, as a general trend, cybersecurity risk is just all over the media at the moment. And every, um, my organisation, but indeed any organisation that I have dealings with, uh, and increasingly individuals, all take this more seriously. We just rolled out a, a set of cybersecurity training at, um, at work, but part of that message is you, this doesn't just help you at work, this helps you at home and with your family. And I would say that culturally, people are a lot more aware What's really interesting then is how far these sort of risks go. So you mentioned security of, of um, buildings, for example. Um, security and privacy is one set of risks, but equally there's risks around transparency. People are concerned that algorithms might be making decisions on their behalf without them realising it, or that um, data is being used to drive decisions and people don't have access to that data. So these risks are quite asymmetric and balanced up against each other. I think um, as a general area of digital, for me, the ethics and risks around it are an extremely interesting area. I mean, Ed, in terms of, of, of diversifying involvement, you, you talked about the risk of tech becoming a silo, which, which is quite interesting given a lot of the recent debate around the gender pay gap and ongoing discussions around diversity, particularly in financial services in the built environment, which aren't exactly... Uh, covering themselves in glory uh let's let's be honest about it uh, the the what is the opportunity here to diversify the discussion you know particularly given uli's focus on on having all sorts of disciplines involved you know who should be who should be ringing you up and banging on your door to get involved with this um i i think really it should be almost everybody in fact i mean there's the, part of it is the Different sectors involved: public sector, private sector. Um, I think one of the biggest, one of the one of the big opportunities, which is, I mean, the risk of this stuff is that it develops with the public and private sector through the disciplines and professions that use it. But there's a whole question about how does the public engage with it, and if it's got the potential to engage with people and to to make transparent decisions which are better for everybody, there has to be a kind of there has to be a public um, 
phase of engaging and feeding into it. What, does, what do you mean by that? What does that? What does that look like? Does that? Is that people using Facebook likes to to assert consent for a planning application? As you know, it's slightly uh, uh, the, yeah. There's a, this is because there is again, that there is, is that there is that point, thing. isn't it? That, that yeah. you know that the, the only people that turn up for for planning meetings are are those with time on their hands. That aren't those who work are often uh, are particularly uh, you know active in in local economies. You know, let's be blunt about it. Uh, well, there's I think there's a. Um, the, the question about something which could be there's a question about what making decisions based on having an idea of what the impact of them might be rather than making a decision based on an immediate emotional response to something and I think where data and modeling has an opportunity is to say okay maybe here's this proposal for a particular site this is the impact on walkability this is the impact on air quality this is the impact on access to daylight and then people can make a, a kind of clearer, uh, more um, objective decision, maybe. So be able to press a button and realise how much longer it's going to take to drive their kids to school in the morning. Is that maybe something like that? Maybe. Um, I, I think these are. This is a bigger discussion, and I think part of it is that this needs some uh, public engagement to say what are the things that we should be thinking about if we're looking at changing these processes. What do people want to get out of it, and what do they need to make those decisions? But Adam, in terms of the the urban technology framework you and Ed will be will be leading on what what kinds of things can we expect to see considered within that well we'll start by looking at looking at a series of trends that we're seeing so give an example of a, a trend we're calling it digital twins um, that's the idea that physical places are increasingly um, having a, a digital version which is separate from the, the physical place and part of the whole. So let's think, think of an example of the big band that does a, um, a concert in a teeny little venue that's then live streamed to 800,000 people. What is it that's defining that space? The, the 50 people that are in the venue or the 800,000 people that are, are in the digital version of that space? So um, that's an example of a trend. We're looking at trends around retail, manufacturing, tribalization and the effect of digital on tribes in addition to the trends though we're looking at what drives them we're looking at the technologies themselves and there's you know we've discussed a number of them but there's a list of probably about 15 or 20 technologies that are relevant we're looking at the urban land factors Eb was just talking about some of them the stakeholders that are involved the buildings and places and then finally we're looking at the business and organizing models these are not just for for um, corporate enterprises but for local society these are the new sorts of digital models that we see so crowdsourcing models trading models sharing models how can all these be applied to create value through digital for commercial benefit but also for lasting social benefit and, and that, you know, that's, that's a big thing, isn't it, Ed, in terms of you know, trying to, I suppose, change the way that the, the built environment and the property sector is perceived by people as, as being a bit more democratic and being for the greater good. Because there is that, that sense to which much of, you know, much of what happens is, is labelled as gentrification and, and done so in a negative way because, I suppose, people don't feel they have the buy-in. And it strikes me that that's one of the opportunities here, as, as, as you've said. I, I think it would be partly about having buy-in, partly about feeling that they are having an influence on things and being able to shape things. And again, this, this whole process of how do you bring in a local community into those kind of decisions, that's a big opportunity, I think. We used a superb tool for a development in Bermondsey called Commonplace, which enables um, 
people's feedback to be geotagged. So the information can then be collected and clearly seen on maps. That's a good example of it. Another example, it's not at all unusual now for um, large developments to have for and against petitions on change.org, which is a, a legal, a leading global petitioning website. And it's still quite blunt, though, isn't it? So it's kind of... Yeah, it, getting that sort of texture i mean that the first example i don't think i think that's quite focused because you're out there speaking to individuals that's at one end at the other end you've got um a broader participation but a more yes no um question and then i think there's levels in between but i think the potential for digital to change the way in which local communities work is an important aspect of this i I sort of think of it as digital society the sum of all the connections and linkages between the people and organizations and if i can just add something i think there's one of the one of the big questions i think is what are the where are the bottlenecks to making the most of these opportunities is it around the actual processes that we have in place at the moment is it that typically you go to consultation about something when it's gone in for planning application um should we be rethinking the way that we do things so that we have a different way of visioning and foresighting and involving people from a very early stage shaping something together rather than asking people to comment on something when it's complete or when it's when it's almost fixed in terms of design that's it's it's a good point i mean let's close on on well-being that's obviously a uh, again another big theme that uli is looking at at the minute and it's something that tech has a pretty important role to play really in helping uh, helping amplify within cities. What what are some of the the considerations that 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 we can think about? Whether it's walkability, whether it's measuring pollution, light, daylight, all these sorts of things. What, what are some of the the the, the, the low hanging fruit, so okay. to speak, that, that you think we could? The, the things that we've spent a lot of time looking at in the last couple of years is how the big systems in a city, which are really difficult and slow to change, what impact they have on things like walkability. Um, again, what impact that then has on well-being. I mean, if you have um, a street network, which is the wrong size urban block, if it's segregated by motorways, if there's low density, uh, single-use um, zones, it makes it not very walkable. Um, there's a whole set of things that we can measure that we can then start to relate to how walkable a place is. And that's that's obviously a, a you know a, you know it's to some degree a, you know London is pretty walkable if you compare it to you know to cities like Tokyo and and, and others. London's really interesting there's a lot of if you look at it within the north circular it tends to be more walkable than outside the north circular and part of this is just the history of the way that London's developed and the pattern of street network network villages and 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 I and I suppose that you know you look at cities like Leeds that probably have you know playing a bit catch up with with Manchester some degree they you know that is a city full of lots of big roads that that could do with a bit of sounds like could do a bit of your help Ed maybe (laughs) (laughs) Um, well look thanks for your time both of you it's going to be a fascinating couple of years so if anybody does want to uh, get in touch uh, and contribute to the work you're going to be doing with the ULI Tech Forum they'll doubtlessly be able to find both of you online so thank you Adam Burstow and Ed Parham thank you thank you very much